Mandatory vaccinations for employees in long-term care. We have now seen with the transmission of the new variants that we need extra protection. The province's drastic step to protect seniors from those who won't get the shot. Extreme heat response. I'll take the ice water and I'll dump it on my hat. It's that bad. The challenge to cope with scorching temperatures and choking smoke, plus a bird's eye view of BC's biggest fire and a relic of the Cold War in our own backyard. This was a bank of plug-ins for antennas. A BC man sharing the secret of how he outsmarted the Soviets. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking wildfire news. The entire community of Logan Lake being evacuated. It's all because of the Tremont Creek wildfire. That fire is burning out of control and has already consumed 36,000 hectares. That's about 360 square kilometers. Late this afternoon, it started growing to the north and south, threatening structures, and that prompted evacuation orders for Logan Lake and the surrounding area to get people to safety. The main evacuation route is Highway 97 to Merritt, Residents are asked not to travel the Meadow Creek Road on Highway 97D to Kamloops. There is no accommodation available in nearby communities, so residents without a place to stay already are being sent to an emergency reception center in Chilliwack. The current heat wave, of course, makes the wildfire situation worse around the province. We currently have 264 active fires burning in B.C., 14 of those just in the last two days. There are 30 fires of note, which means they are highly visible or pose a threat to public safety, and 124 fires that are considered out of control. Now, one of those new fires is burning near Hope tonight, and Nitu Garche is live with the breaking details on this one. Nitu, thankfully no evacuations due to this fire, at least not yet. That's right, Chris. No evacuations, but the Fraser Valley Regional District is monitoring this fire, as are people living in the area who've been watching helicopters throughout the afternoon, dropping water on a farmer's field behind me. We are just off of Highway 1 right now, near the intersections of Laidlaw and McKay Roads in the small community of Laidlaw, and it's actually the Hope Fire Department, which is leading the response. They were called out shortly before noon, and about six of their firefighters were assisted by members of the Popcom Fire Department and two BC wildfire service helicopters. The fire is most likely human-caused, according to the Hope Fire Chief, who says luckily they were able to stop it from spreading into the nearby mountains or to other farms. There is heavy smoke, though, Chris, in this area from this fire and others in the interior and in the U.S. And while the fire here in Laidlaw is now in the mop-up stages, the Fraser Valley Regional District is encouraging people to download the Alertable app, which will immediately notify them of any emergency updates and potential evacuations. So again, it's called the Alertable app, and it's useful for anybody who's traveling into the Fraser Valley, especially amid another heat wave. We know that things can change very quickly, but for now, there does seem to be some relief here that this fire behind me so far hasn't spread beyond a few hectares. Chris? All right, that's good to hear. Thanks very much. And again, the Alertable app sounds like uh, a good one for people to download. Thanks for that, Neetu. The White Rock Lake fire is devouring more land west of Kelowna. After a weekend of relative calm, it started to flare up again today, prompting people who returned to their homes just days ago to flee once again. Paul Johnson has the latest, including a new aerial view of the firefight. 
There is the fight against BC's wildfires. Then there is the perception of the fight. And it's no surprise that the most severe views come from those who defy orders to evacuate and take matters into their own hands. They kind of left us stranded. I mean, they, they say that they're doing a whole bunch, but realistically, they haven't. Some residents in the Monty Lake community complained that local loggers were ready to use their heavy equipment to fight the fire in its early stages there, but were told to stand down by the wildfire service. We have crews working up the entire west side here towards Monty Lake. Thursday, the government went public to push back on that. The resources that we have on the fire right now are adequate for what we're accomplishing. Currently, we're watching a heavy lift from uh, the lake. On a chopper tour Thursday, the BC Wildfire Service offered the news media a view from above of their fight against the White Rock Lake fire. There was also an up-close look at their incident command post and firefighters camp, one of eight such facilities across the province, where firefighters sleep and eat during the scant hours when they're not on the front lines. You see a very exhausted person. You see a person covered from head to toe in ash. The wildfire service says with record drought and fires happening throughout the northern hemisphere, available resources are maxed out. Even so, BC can expect almost 200 more firefighters from Quebec and Alberta in the coming days. And people ought to remember, they hear the criticism as well. That's the hardest thing to hear when we work extremely long hours over an extremely long summer and the crews on the ground they they're young millennials who live on social media they are not taking this well the message that gets out there and i worry about them for that reason paul johnson global news now to that record-breaking heat, the third heat wave so far this summer. And while the temperatures are soaring, some regions hundreds of kilometers away from the wildfires are also dealing with deteriorating air quality from the smoke. Jordan Armstrong is live in Abbotsford now, where it was so bad today, Jordan, some people thought there must be a major structure fire burning somewhere. That's right, Chris. At times out here in the Fraser Valley, the smoke was so bad that indeed people called fire departments thinking there was a building on fire nearby. That is not the case. It is smoke from elsewhere. But make no mistake, it's made things here very unpleasant. What's it like up there? Hot. Imagine being a roofer when the temperature flirts with 40 degrees. Philip Gandy doesn't have to imagine. He's living it. It's actually 10 degrees hotter up there. You need gloves just to pick up the shingles because that's how hot they are. Staying cool, only possible by staying soaked. When it's this bad, you're, you're going for it, you're running for it every minute. So I just have it on me at all times now. At Abbotsford's Mill Lake Park, everyone and everything was in search of heat relief. But it's not just the temperature causing discomfort. A little bit tough breathing, yeah, but I'm, I'm hoping to get a, a reprieve now and um, on at Mill Lake here. At one point Thursday, smoke from Interior and Washington State fires pushed Abbotsford's Air Quality Health Index to a 10 out of a possible 10, or very high health risk. Certainly the air quality that we're seeing in portions of the Fraser Valley this year uh, are some of the highest fine particulate matter concentrations we've had so far. 
um, and the heat adds uh, an extra challenge to the situation. Speaking of challenge, it's the third time this summer first responders have been challenged by extreme heat. This time, BC Emergency Health Services promises more managers have been deployed to hospitals to keep patients moving and paramedics on the road. In Vancouver, smoke wasn't much of a concern Thursday, and the temperature wasn't as hot as the valley. But for many, it was still too hot. I bought a portable air conditioner for my home. You can go swimming and stay near the beach. Stay near the beach because it's really windy. Yeah, we're going to our air-conditioned uh, hotel room. Now back here in Abbotsford, the air quality has improved slightly to an 8 out of 10. But just down the highway in Chilliwack, it's still about as bad as it gets, Chris. 10 plus or very high health hazard. Back to you. Best to stay out of it for sure if you can. Thanks yeah. very much, Jordan. All right, we'll bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell now for more on the peak of this record-breaking heat. And we're talking about obliterating some long-time records here, Yvonne. Yeah, several of them falling through the day today, and it'll be very similar. We've got the peak of the heat with the hottest days both today and tomorrow, so please be prepared. We can see that with some of the numbers here with Squamish. These are unofficial numbers, but just to give you an idea, pushing up to 40 degrees, it'll be similar for Port Alberni. Abbotsford, Chilliwack getting up to 37.9. Westwan included within that, getting new record highs. Areas near Whistler and Powell River. So we still have a heat warning that is in effect. Special weather statement. This will extend all the way in towards our Sunday. But again, today, tomorrow is still the hottest and then leading in towards the beginning of the weekend. Now, there is a reprieve on the way. We are tracking a frontal system in the long range. I'll have that coming up and smoky skies. We still have that with outflow winds from some of the smokes in the interior and Washington. I'll outline what that'll mean over the next 24 to 48 hours. Chris? All right, we'll check in in just a few minutes. Thanks very much, Yvonne. And while the hot summer weather usually means more people outside and a dip in COVID-19 cases, Right now, we're seeing a concerning upward trend with hospitalizations also going up. We have 513 new cases and 3,834 active cases right now. 81 people are in hospital. That's up nine from yesterday. 33 of those patients are in the ICU. That's up four. Sadly, another person has died from COVID-19. And 71.6% of people 12 and older have now been fully vaccinated. A tough but necessary, according to the experts, step for those who work with seniors. Today, the province says getting the vaccine is now a condition of employment. Workers in long-term care or assisted living must be fully vaccinated by the day after Thanksgiving or risk losing their jobs. Aaron MacArthur has the details. For the first time in B.C., a group of workers will need to be fully vaccinated or risk losing their job. The risk is changing. The provincial health officer has now issued an order. Vaccines for staff at all long-term care and assisted living facilities will be mandatory. The first step will be for the government to collect everyone's immunization status. For now, all unvaccinated staff must wear masks and PPE with regular testing. And by October 12th, all employees will need to be double-dosed. I recognize that this is a change from the direction that we announced uh, earlier in, the, in the, the spring, in June. It's a move the Long-Term Care Providers Association has been asking for for months. Vaccination makes such a difference in long-term care, but unless 
uh, we have all staff vaccinated, we still leave people vulnerable. Public sector unions have offered different levels of qualified support for the new order. The HEU has 20,000 members active in long-term care facilities. Its preference would have been to continue with education and boosting vaccination rates. But members will be strongly encouraged to follow the provincial health order. The commitment we've had from government is that they will be meeting with us over the next few weeks to talk through the labor relations implications of this policy. The government has also suggested that the vaccination status for workers in the acute health care system will also need to be confirmed. I had a, a conversation with the, the privacy commissioner about requiring of this type of information and uh, he is very supportive as this being a proportional and reasonable response. October 12th is two months away. The government under pressure to get this system up and running before the fall cold and flu season. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, back to the numbers for a minute. Keith, uh, the central Okanagan has the most new cases, as we've pointed out. But other mm -hmm. places in Metro Vancouver aren't doing much better. Yeah, it's interesting. The latest maps provided by the Center for Disease Control tell the story how the virus is spreading not just in central Okanagan, but to a significant number in many other uh, communities and jurisdictions. Take a look at this. This is from the Center for Disease Control. As we mentioned, central Okanagan off the charts for the first week of August, 849 cases. But also you've got other places such as Vernon, Nelson and Castlegar. Coincidentally, or not coincidentally, all these places have lower than vaccination rates than the provincial average. And that may that's likely playing a role here as well. But Metro Vancouver also seen a significant spike. Surrey, for example, more than 100 cases in uh, the first week of August. Langley, uh, Vancouver West End, and Burnaby also starting to track with significant numbers. And they're not alone. Mission's got a big number. So does Richmond. I just didn't want to put them all on a graphic. So it's not just about the central Okanagan. Now, who are these people? Who, are, who is getting sick? Who is getting the virus? By and large, young people. I just uh, uh, cracked the numbers over the last day of the 513. More than half are people under the age of 30. And and that's the trend that we've seen develop over the last few months as the Delta variant really starts to be infecting people who are not vaccinated. And it's people in their 20s and 30s and teenagers who have the lower vaccination rates compared to older people. That's why you're seeing younger people get sick right now with COVID-19. And that's going to continue until we get those immunization numbers up. So if you're not vaccinated and you're in your 20s and you live in the Okanagan or in some of these other towns, you run a real risk of getting COVID-19 because of the Delta variant. They are trying to make it as easy as possible out there to get a shot if you don't already have mm -hmm. one. Uh, all right, thanks very much, Keith. After more than a year and a half, sports and entertainment events with large crowds are now slowly starting to reappear on the schedule, despite those higher numbers. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, there isn't a lot of consistency about mask mandates or showing vaccination status. Phillips Brewing and Malting in Victoria, they've hosted some big parties in the past. And now they're going ahead with their double header event, two days of bands and brew. But it's only for those who are fully vaccinated. I don't think it's a bad idea considering that we got a potential fourth wave coming through. Terms and conditions for the September 10th and 11th party clearly state that attendees provide proof of vaccination when entering our venue at the Phillips Doubleheader. In the absence of a government vaccination passport, we will be asking you to show your vaccination card or provincially provide a documentation. 
Uh, as part of the entry uh, where we're verifying age, we'll also just verify your vaccine status. Could other events and organizations follow suit? What will the Vancouver Canucks choose to do? That's still undetermined, they told Global News. While we have not made any final decisions, we are definitely exploring the possibility of requiring proof of vaccination for entry into our venues. As for the BC Lions, they said, We will not require proof for entry, but do encourage everyone to get their vaccine. The Vancouver Symphony Orchestra says they're actively investigating vaccine passports and how to implement their use in the concert hall, adding, we know that many of our audience members support their implementation. If you choose not to be immunized, then you don't necessarily have the right to go into a higher risk environment with a bunch of people who have been immunized. Phillips Brewing is already getting some pushback. We've had some really disturbing phone calls and messages, uh, threats and all sorts of terrible things. But keeping everyone safe as much as possible is their priority. And of course, making sure everyone has a good time. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A Nanaimo hit-and-run case that took years to solve, a young father killed, and two men who ignored the shattered family's plea to come forward. What's at stake now that the sentencing has begun? Next on the News Hour. Get set for a fall election, the politics at play, and what to expect when the call comes on Sunday. That's coming up on the News Hour. And a tail-wagging weapon in the fight against COVID. How these B.C. dogs are the first in the world to sniff out the virus for real. That's later. Right now, though, a Nanaimo family is finally able to grieve after guilty pleas in a hit-and-run case that killed their loved one. The driver, Ryan Grob, never came forward, and his history of driving offenses is several pages long, even after the hit-and-run. So how should he be punished? Kylie Stanton reports on the sentencing hearing in Nanaimo and the victim's family's hopes for justice. Nearly two years after losing one of their own, a family's time has finally come to see justice served. It's all very surreal. We can't even grieve until after today. 32-year-old Spencer Alexander Moore's body was discovered in the 200 block of Hearst Avenue in Parksville in the early hours of August 24, 2019. The victim of an apparent hit and run. Oceanside RCMP seized a Ford F-250 with a lift kit hours later, but it was a year and a half before suspects were arrested and charged. The driver, 35-year-old Ryan Grobe, and his passenger, 31-year-old Travis Taylor, never came forward, despite desperate pleas from the family. His family is hurting. Grobe was behind the wheel. He was charged with dangerous driving, causing death, failing to stop at the scene of a collision resulting in death, and willfully attempting to obstruct, pervert, or defeat the course of justice by giving a false statement to police. This would have hurt less if Ryan Grobe and Travis Taylor had to come forward. Crown is asking for six years in custody, plus a 10-year driving prohibition, as well as a DNA order. Defense, on the other hand, seeking three and a half to four years in prison and a six-year driving prohibition. Crown pointed to Grove's lengthy driving record spanning nearly two pages. The infractions include several speeding offenses, failure to display an L or N decal, possessing open liquor in a motor vehicle, repeatedly failing to wear a seatbelt or show a license, and driving while per 
prohibited, even after the hit and run, only further infuriating the victim's family. This has been messy and raw to see how this justice system works. In their grief, the family has built the strength to advocate. And while nothing will bring Spencer back, they say justice being served is what's needed to keep moving forward. Not middleman it, not downgrade it. Put themselves in our shoes. The judge has reserved her decision, tentatively scheduled for next week. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Up next, access denied. Summit is making assumptions that for some reason mobile apps are the answer to everything. Seniors feeling left behind in the pandemic and what the province is doing to make health information more accessible. Also, hateful vandalism hits hard in a community that's just trying to face the truth of its past. Still lots of congestion on Highway 1 eastbound through Vancouver and Burnaby due to two separate accidents, one near First Avenue and one near Kensington. Crews are on scene to both and traffic is extra busy. Welcome to the electric future. Be among the first to reserve the all-new 2022 Bolt EUV or redesigned 2022 Bolt EV. Request your reservation today. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. The Tsleil-Waututh Nation has been targeted in a vandalism spree. It happened last night, just a day after the band announced that it would be investigating the disappearance of children from the St. Paul's Indian Residential School in North Vancouver. Someone went on the eastern part of the reserve and knocked down business signs and pulled up cemented municipal signs all along Dollarton Highway. Some band members have taken to social media to express their sadness. They say they are getting more hate for uncovering past hate, and they feel insecure. For that to happen within our backyard, it's disheartening and it's uh, very unfortunate timing as well. And it also destroys uh, a safe environment. To all, all Vancouverites, to all British Columbians, you know, we really need your support at this time. This is heavy work for us. It's, it's heavy growing up in the traumas that come from these schools, but having to do this next step of properly investigating, it's important for us to be at the front of this, but we need the support. We need the acknowledgements at this time. It, it does help us in our work. It helps in what we're doing. Band members say they've never been targeted by this type of vandalism before. They say that the path to reconciliation is a difficult one, and part of the process is that everything hidden has to come out into the light. As we emerge from the pandemic, proof of immunization is increasingly becoming essential for travel in and out of the country. But in the digital age, some people are feeling excluded from BC's one-stop source for their health records. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea has more on the problem and Anne, how the province is trying to improve access. That's right, Chris. After a recent Consumer Matters story on seniors and apps, we received many emails around the province's Health Gateway app where BC residents can access their health records. But once again, because you need an app for that, many seniors say they've been left behind. As a visually impaired person, Don Robinson says he's managed to enter the digital age successfully using a desktop computer, a computer screen magnifier, and a computer screen reader. But the BC Health Ministry's latest initiative appears to be leaving many seniors behind. Someone is making assumptions that for some reason mobile apps are the answer to everything. 
Health Gateway is advertised as a single place for BC residents to access their health records, COVID-19 test results and immunization records. But you'll need an app for that because in order to access Health Gateway, you must have the BC Service Card mobile app downloaded. Why do we need a mobile app in order to be able to access our records? Don's devices are too old to run the app. Others don't use apps at all, putting many people, especially seniors, at a disadvantage. I think they should just consult with people a little bit more than they do. I think there's too much assuming or making assumptions that don't stand up to scrutiny. And if they ask the right people, the right people would tell them where they're going off track. When contacted, BC's Ministry of Health told Consumer Matters, the ministry is aware of individuals having difficulty accessing the health gateway through the BC Services Card app. We're working to improve the way that people can easily obtain their COVID immunization records, and there will be more information on what this will look like in the near future. The province also says the app is needed because it requires a robust identity verification process for privacy reasons to avoid security risks around sensitive and personal information. They certainly could have done better. But some cybersecurity experts say while having an extra layer of security is a good thing, the fact Health Gateway is not accessible to everyone is a concern. It seems a bit odd to me to launch health-related services and put them behind something that both requires wealth uh, enough to have a smartphone and a, a cell phone contract in order to be able to access this information and combine that with not necessarily working with a lot of assistive devices that many disabled people rely on in order to access online content. For now, seniors like Don Robinson will have to forgo using Health Gateway until it's accessible to everyone. Unfortunately, a lot of us seniors are not considered experts on anything. And, and that's the way it is. That's the real world. And we are told Service BC is currently developing enhancements to the BC Services Card mobile app to support those people with accessibility challenges such as visual impairment. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. There's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, and thank you very much. Some scary moments for a family on a sinking boat. The rescue that saved them coming up next. And BC dogs sniffing out COVID better than any laboratory tests can do. Continue to avoid Highway 1 eastbound in Vancouver. Crews are unseen to a multi-vehicle accident just near First Avenue. As a result, traffic is backed through the Cassiar Tunnel, across the Ironworkers, and past Lonsdale into North Vancouver. Welcome to the electric future. Be among the first to reserve the all-new 2022 Bolt EUV or redesigned 2022 Bolt EV. Request your reservation today. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A very close call for a trio of boaters off Nanaimo when their boat sank near Snake Island today. Search and rescue were called to rescue two adult males and a two-and-a-half-year-old girl just after 1 o'clock when their 15-foot motorboat started taking on water. The trio managed to climb onto some rocks to safety as the boat started to sink. A tugboat was called in to pull the boat out of the water. and. They were transferred to the NPA Eagle, and she took them into the harbour where uh, ambulance uh, checked them out. Uh, no apparent injuries. I think they were uh, perhaps somewhat cold. And the young girl was a little bit, uh, I'm sure she's going to have a story for her mom tonight. It's perhaps the worst kept secret, but the speculation is over, and Canadians, we believe, will head to the polls this fall. 
Our Ottawa Bureau Chief Mercedes Stevenson has more on the snap election call and the optics of holding one during a pandemic. Sources have confirmed to Global News that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will walk over to Rideau Hall on Sunday morning to ask the Governor-General to dissolve Parliament and drop the writ, calling a snap fall election that comes as a surprise to few. The Liberal plan is to hold a 36-day campaign, the shortest allowed under federal law. That puts Election Day on Monday, September 20th. Mr. Trudeau had publicly signaled he expected an election in 2021, but had simultaneously denied that the Liberals were the ones eyeing that. This will be an election like no other in Canadian history, taking place during a pandemic and a fourth wave of COVID-19. The optics of campaigning amid rising COVID cases, a very real part of the calculus for the Liberals. But with the Prime Minister riding high in the polls and the potential for a majority, it seems Mr. Trudeau has determined the greater risk to his government is to wait and potentially be taken down by the opposition when the public mood and the economy could sour. Opposition parties say they don't want an election, but they're ready to campaign. And with that, Canada will be off to its first pandemic federal election in just three days. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News, Ottawa. Vancouver Coastal Health has become the first healthcare organization in the world to put some four-legged experts to work sniffing out COVID-19. After a series of tests, supersmellers Micro, Finn and Yoki have all been found to have 100% sensitivity and 93% accuracy in identifying COVID-19 from saliva, breath and sweat samples. That's more accurate than any laboratory test that's currently available. The dogs were already working as part of VCH's Canines for Care team, sniffing out C. difficile infections in hospitals. They're able to take care of large areas and large groups of people very, very quickly and in a non-invasive manner. Once that, if they alert on a person, which they'll just sit quietly beside, it's a tool for us to say, hey, we need to do some more testing on you to see what's going on to make sure that you're healthy and that you're safe. Vancouver Coastal Health says it's looking to develop a training program to put more dogs into action to screen for COVID at airports, on cruise ships and at public events. Up ahead, tales of international espionage in Boundary Bay. And at some point I became aware that he had something to do with keeping Canada and the rest of the world safe. A BC man shares the secret of this abandoned building and the Cold War battle he fought from Ladner. And too dry to fish, why you can leave your rods at home if you're traveling to the South Okanagan. Here's the Wines of BC question of the day. BC wine production is small, but quality focused. Approximately how many cases of BC wine can be produced in a year? A. 1.5 million cases. B. 2.2 million cases. C. 5.1 million cases. D. 10 million cases. We'll be right back with the answer. The answer to today's Wines of BC question is B. 2.2 million cases. At full production, winemakers in BC could make up to 2.2 million cases each year. Well, due to the extremely hot and dry conditions, recreational fishing is currently closed in most areas of the South Okanagan. 
Global's Travis Lowe has more on the confusion in the angling community and the factors making it difficult for fish to survive. Good morning, this is Trout Waters. Kelowna's only full-service fishing and tackle shop The lakes are absolutely open. is fielding call after call Waters next week. from confused anglers after a BC government press release announced significant changes to fishing in rivers and streams in the South Okanagan on Wednesday. We closed all streams and rivers in management units 8-1 through 8-23 to recreational freshwater fishing. Record drought and scorching heat are proving to be a killer combo for some Okanagan rivers and streams because the sublethal in-stream temperature for trout is 18 degrees. So once you go above that for multiple days in a row, uh, you start experiencing fish kills. These in-season regulation changes actually came into effect July the 19th, but the press release notifying the public about them only came out yesterday, August 11th. And that has one of the owners of Kelowna's Troutwater Fly and Tackle wondering if a more concise rollout may have avoided some confusion. The lack of information that was put out there has made it difficult leaving Pace to ponder whether or not a proper press release on July 19th may have avoided some accidental mortality in the region's trout streams. There's been lots of juvenile trout that are dying off. So, you know, when we're seeing that, those are future generations of wild trout that are not going to make it because of those temperatures. Still, Pace is trying to get the word out to all anglers about the closures and informing them that the region's lakes are still open. Yeah, the closure does not include lakes. The stream closures are in effect until September 15th. Travis Lowe, Global News, Kelowna. Tough seeing some of those streams down to a trickle. Okay, we're going to bring in Yvonne now with a little bit more on this extreme heat. Uh, we know it's record-breaking, and it rolls on for a few more days yet. Yeah, and we're expecting to see another record-breaking day for tomorrow. So the hottest days, both today and tomorrow, be prepared, and it'll be hot for the beginning of the weekend as well. A glance at what it looks like overlooking the North Shore Mountains, and here's the numbers. So still away from the water. With the Humidex tomorrow, we could still get back into the low 40s. And then as we get in towards the weekend, it's really the latter half and into early next week that we'll start to see temperatures closer to the average for this time of the year. We've been tracking some outfall winds and smoke from the just to the south of us in Washington and that's what we're seeing the hazy conditions and poor air quality across the region for the south coast of Metro Vancouver and we're still going to see smoke for all areas stretching in towards the interior over the next 24 and 48 hours. Air quality health index just, just gives us a health risk and we could see that range especially for the interior areas near the central Okanagan health risk risk is sitting at high and a quick update in the latest check for the air quality health index stretching in towards the Fraser Valley for the central Fraser Valley sitting at eight but anywhere east of it and stretching in towards um in towards Mission, rather, sitting at 10. So those with respiratory issues, please try and limit the amount of time spent outdoors. Now, here's a look ahead in the long range and what we're anticipating. It'll be late day Sunday. A frontal system is going to move across the province. And for the southern half, a bit of a reprieve is on the way. We could see the chance of showers, and that'll take us in towards our Monday with a bit more cloud cover across the region. But still, one more hot day, seeing the peak of the heat for tomorrow. Inland areas will still get up to 30 degrees, hot and hazy. We've got smoke right across the southern half the province. South Coast will be included within that tomorrow with the Humidex feeling into the low 40s, hot for the start of the weekend and then the chance of showers moving in late day Sunday for Monday. Great shot by the water, a sunset in Roberts Creek. This one taken by Andrea. Chris? Oh, nice cool splash. We need it right now, that's for sure.
Here's something else. Here's something else to bring a little joy. That was very, uh, very interesting. <laughs> you are now. All right. Um, here's something else to bring some joy. Gurdy Pander, you will know that name, spreading joy once again with his happy Bangra dancing, this time in Richmond with a very special dance partner. Maybe you recognize her in her street clothes. That's our very own Nitu Garcha getting into the groove. The video shot in June at Iona Beach Park. Amazingly, Nitu tells us they didn't even practice beforehand. Gurdeep made the routine up on the spot, and Nitu picked it up like a pro. Both are very proud of their Punjabi heritage and love sharing a piece of that culture with the public. And here's a fun fact. Bhangra dancing was originally created to celebrate the farmer's harvest. Nice work. Good job, Nithu. Awesome and stuff. Gurdip. That was great. Okay, Barry's in now for Squire uh, with a look at what's coming up in sports. Yeah, Barry. lots going on. The Lions are just kicking off in Calgary. And Michael Riley starting a QB all week. They said it was uh, going to be Nathan Rourke. Anyway, also the Whitecaps, well, their uh, big signing, of course, was Ryan Gauld. And he hopes to be pretty close to the top of his game in the next couple of weeks. You know, another um, week or two and I'll be, I'll be close to 100%. And they'll need him to start producing after finding out earlier this week Lucas Cavallini's out six weeks with a knee injury. Yeah, that was a tough blow. All right, also coming up, the Soviet codebreaker who fought in the Cold War, revealing the secrets of a mission almost no one knew about near Boundary Bay. I can't remember the last time I was on set with Barry DeLay, but it's, it's, been all, a while. it's all yours now. I would say two years, and I'm yeah. just guessing, but yeah. and we haven't aged a bit. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Vancouver's Rebecca Marino has had uh, such a great week uh, so far in Montreal, winning her first two matches at the National Bank Open. The two wins have made her a little bit of money. Maybe more importantly, rankings points. She has dumped, uh, jumped rather from 220 in the world up to 175 thanks to those two victories. But today in the round of 16, she had to take on the top seed, Arena Sabalenka of Belarus, the current world number three. Marino decked out Sabalenka in her Canada Reds today, hoping she can keep the momentum going. But Sabalenka obviously was ready for her, raced out to a three-love lead, and she's got such a complete game. She's top-ranked in singles and doubles, and she won the opening set easily 6-1. Rebecca got some footing in the second. Big serve here. Marino up 3-2 in that second set. Perhaps another comeback like yesterday for Marino, but... Sabalenka turned it up another lot notch, loading up the two-fisted backhand, and she took out Marino in just 59 minutes, 6-1-6-3. But what a tournament for Marino. Hopefully she builds on this. She's playing very good tennis after getting past that foot injury that sidelined her for over a year. So the last Canadian left in singles, men or women, Bianca Andrescu taking on Tunisia's uh, Anz Sabur. Andrescu down 4-2 in the first set, but roared back, gets the smash at the net to go up 6-5. It would go to a tie break, and Bianca staying aggressive. Up at net, puts away the volley, and uh, she's all fired up. That's when she plays her best tennis, when she's got that emotion. Takes the tie break, her dad loves it. 5,000 fans allowed in uh, Montreal, all at center court. 17,000 capacity, so you can imagine what it would be like with a full stadium. And then uh, Bianca with the ace there. And then the rain came. They've just had a 55-minute rain delay. They're back on court, so Bianca up a set and three all in the second set. 
Starting the season with two divisional road games is not easy at the best of times, but to do without a healthy starting quarterback makes it an even tougher challenge for the Lions. All week, it appeared that Nathan Rourke would start tonight, the Canadian rookie, but Michael Riley, I guess, had a great warm-up, and he did get the start tonight. We'll see how it plays out very early in the first quarter. Scoreless, we'll have complete highlights tonight at 11. Well, with Lucas Cavallini out for about six weeks with a knee injury, newcomer Ryan Gauld will have to contribute a little quicker than scheduled for the Whitecaps. Gauld did play about 15 minutes last week in L.A., just a week after arriving in Vancouver. He's still a long way from peak fitness, but the Caps are counting on him to find his form sooner rather than later. First appearance since the third week of May. Now it's Gauld from distance and a floater. Ryan Gauld almost made a dazzling debut for the Whitecaps. As it was, he did show what he's capable of, and he's really only playing at half speed. Gauld saw his first action since mid-May last Sunday in L.A., so he's just starting to work his way up to full speed. I'm hoping, you know, another um, week or two and I'll be, I'll be close to 100%. It's just a matter of, um, you know, getting minutes, as many minutes in as possible and training hard and... Um, and then hopefully it's not going to take too long. I don't expect it to be too long until I'm at uh, 100%. He is definitely growing uh, physically, getting better and better. Uh, but again, we have to be careful of how we, we integrate him fully. We can't, we can't speed up uh, the process and then have a setback with him. We want to make sure that we put him in the right position to be fully fit. Gauld is very aware there are big expectations on his offensive production, but he's also aware that forcing things on the pitch won't work either. So there is going to be uh, times when I need to kind of, you know, stand back and see how, how things are going and, um, you know, not rush everything, kind of take my time and um, hopefully good things will come. Gauld is just starting what he and the Whitecaps hope will be a beautiful partnership in Vancouver. Right now, he's just settling in, on and off the pitch. I've been in Kitsilano roundabout there. Uh, I've not ventured too far out of my comfort zone yet. Um, but I think I'll, I'll wait for my dogs to come over and my girlfriend, and then we'll go, we'll go exploring all together. Love just listening to him talk. You can read the phone book. I just love that accent, but we'll see how he does. Absolutely. He's got a lot to look forward to living here and playing here as well. All right, a relic from the Cold War you never knew was there, and the BC man who stole Soviet secrets. Coming up next. This is BC with Jay Durant, brought to you in part by Fortis BC, BC's energy solutions provider. If you ever thought Canada played a bit part in the Cold War, it's time to think again. At the Boundary Bay Airport in Delta, there is a building that was dedicated to surveillance. And in one of those rooms, Bill Rogers worked intercepting Soviet secrets. A job so top secret that his family had no idea what he did. Jay Durant now has more on This Is B.C. There's an old abandoned building in the back corner of the Boundary Bay Airport. It was here that during the height of the Cold War, the Canadian military was intercepting signals from the Soviet Union. Bill Rogers worked there, and more than 60 years later, he's getting his first look at the blueprints. But this is where we recorded, had recorders, recording uh, voice stuff or anything else. 
For 14 years, Rogers was posted at the Vancouver Wireless Station, acquiring highly classified information. It was so secretive, he couldn't even tell his wife and kids what he did for work. No, no, never told my family anything. They had no idea what we did. They, they thought we had a radar station there. And at some point I became aware that he had something to do with keeping Canada and the rest of the world safe during the Cold War. Rogers was intercepting Morse code signals from Soviet Navy ships, icebreakers, and commercial vessels during some historic times. He was there when British spy Kim Philby defected to Moscow. He was on watch during the Cuban Missile Crisis and monitoring after the Soviets launched satellites into orbit. Every 90 minutes it went over and we copied it. That's the only time we could copy it for a few minutes. After being posted to Germany in 1968, Rogers eventually moved back to Ladner, now living near the North 40, the place he called home for so many years. We had great parties in the mess hall. That was just over here. Great parties. They were so good that uh, the CEO of the camp would come to our parties. There was a co-worker reunion in front of that old building several years ago, and all the memories came flooding back. This was a bank of plug-ins for antennas, different antennas. Just like they did on this day when Bill retraced his steps in those top secret rooms. I can remember sitting there and trying to stay awake in the midnight shift. <laughs> Jay Durant, Global News. What a story and thank you for your service, Bill. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that you want to share, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Last word on this smoking hot weather before we go, Yvonne. Another hot day tomorrow, anticipating that we'll see records fall once again away from the water with the Humidex into the low 30s. So be prepared as we get in towards the weekend. It's the latter half and Monday, there's a nice break. See some little raindrops on there. We're holding out hope. All right, thanks very much, everyone, for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.